Welcome to Worship Call with Bible teacher Buzz Lawback. Buzz is the pastor of Grace Chapel Bible Ministries located in Duncan, South Carolina. This ministry is dedicated to the verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word and discipleship programs aimed at strengthening the faith of God's people. Now here's today's message. This is the fourth day of the week in God's created order. Wednesday, November 15th, 2023rd year of our Lord. We begin this morning with George Witten of WorthyNews.com. Friends, stand on the walls. Isaiah 62, 6-7. I have set watchmen on your walls, of Jew, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Yesterday, my family and I had the privilege of being among nearly 300,000 individuals at the March for Israel event in Washington, D.C. As many in the crowd stood in solidarity with Israel. I reflected on our role as believers in these last days. We are simply called to be watchmen on the walls. Interestingly, one of the ancient Hebrew words for watchmen is the word nozrium, with coincidentally is the modern Hebrew word for Christian. Watchmen are called to vigilance and attentive awareness of the situation. Our present situation is a boiling pot threatening to overthrow, overflow. Please keep watch with us. Do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise throughout the earth. This cannot happen if Jerusalem is divided and overran with those who hate the very existence of Israel. The Lord will use this pressure for his own purposes to test nations and hearts to draw Israel back to himself. Our heart cry is for another outpouring of his Holy Spirit on all flesh. Whatever peace we can hope for in the age will come from him and this divine outpouring. Then finally, Yeshua will return to establish his kingdom, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Friends, please stand as a watchman with us at this pivotal time. Let us stand and fervently pray for minimum conflict, the release of hostages, the protection of innocent lives, and the renewed outpouring of spirit. The Lord will be faithful and to answer our cries to him. Your family in the Lord with much agape love, George, Badrevka, Obadiah, and Elena, and this is another fine day in the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you. We do pray for Israel. We do pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, the for the victory and the, and the war. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the for the uh, as it as it seems that Israel will will hold uh, Gaza. We pray, Heavenly Father, that that the opportunity for the gospel, for for the... Um, we pray, Heavenly Father, for the minimum of the loss of life. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that um, with it, that there, the doors of evangelism will be open 
in Israel. As we continue to watch, as we continue to see the prophetical stage set, we can we pray, Heavenly Father, equip our hearts with the knowledge of uh, of the events in light of what the Scripture says that is happening and is going to happen. We open our hearts to the study this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And um, Israel, and the thing should not be, the significance of Israel should not be um, understated with any of our lives. And when, when I was a young Christian and taking in doctrine and learning about the spiritual life, my focus was on the spiritual life. My focus was on being a Christian. And um, it was the Jews were, and, and Israel, Jews, the their ways, their their the ceremonies, the feasts, and all this, and their their religion was a abstract concept to me. And so Israel was just another place in the Middle East. It didn't hold much to my attention. But as I began to grow in the Lord and 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 learn God's word, um, I come to realize that Israel is the focus. Um, the the centerpiece of all of history. It, it, these are God's people. The God has not divorced them. There is still a there um, that these are these are the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And through them, all families of the earth will be blessed. And so, and, uh, how often people throughout history, uh, throughout my life, and and I've heard so often. You've heard. Well, where is the United States in prophecy? The United States is not in the prophecy, my friend. Well, it's the ego and stuff. No, you can get that off the table. You need um, Israel is the centerpiece of history, and um, when the Lord comes back, it's going to be the kingdom, and that kingdom is going to be established in Israel. That's the kingdom, not this world, not your, not your state, not your country. Um, outside of, unless your country is Israel. So we pray for them. We watch as things unfold prophetically, and um, and we continue to pray for Israel. Um, all right, let's let's go back to our our study. Yesterday was yesterday was a crazy day. I woke up, nothing really was working. <laughs> my uh, my prayer was off. I you know I had a hard time praying. In the morning, I had a hard time studying. Um, Beck had a rough day in the morning, but my my lesson was discombobulated. And I didn't know what direction to go to, and then when I said, "Well, okay, I'm going to have it anyway," and I'm going to have the, I'm going to get the lesson and every music started and everything, and all of a sudden the streaming stopped and the website went crazy, and, and okay, well, I guess that settles that. We won't have it today, but. Feel a lot better today. So let's go with our lesson. And we are in, and this morning we are going into Matthew chapter 21. We are looking at the triumphal, the triumphal entry. Now there, and hold it as some controversy and, and as, as I've heard, and maybe I put too much emphasis in it. But let me just say out, outwardly that there is some disagreement. On the on the days and in, in which things happen throughout this 
what we would call Passion Week. This will become Passion Week. Jesus is on his um, on the road to the cross where the greatest victory is going to be uh, going to take place. Ultimately, traditionally, um, it is set to be Friday, and those uh, there are there are those that. Um, Really good pastor teachers and and um, and and theologians and stuff. They will they will continue to stand on and they stand on a traditional view that Friday, uh, Friday is the crucifixion, Sunday is the resurrection, the first day of the week actually, which is the um, which will be the um, the feast of the first fruits. Uh, I have a hard time with that because of the three day and three night. I no one has been able to successfully explain to me how you get three days and three nights from Friday to um, to Sunday. Thursday might be also uh, Thursday. The, it, there is some explanation as how one could get three days and three nights from Thursday. So some will stand on a Thursday crucifixion. Right now, I stand on a Wednesday crucifixion, which would be, um, which would give you the three nights and uh, three days perfectly, getting getting to the first day of the week. Uh, and with that said, I, I set aside my dogmatism. Now, I will be dogmatic about this. Jesus rode in on the tenth of Nisan, on the tenth of the month, according to the Jewish calendar of that day. Jewish calendar on the 10th of Nisan. And then on the 14th uh, of Nisan, that month, along with all the other, uh, that, uh, along with all the, the lambs of that day would be the 14th of Nisan, he would die upon the cross. And then three days, three nights later, he will be resurrected. That's where I'll be dogmatic about that. Everything fell in line with the Passover meal. And that's, that's, uh, the the feast of the Passover, and that's going to be very important on this. So we'll cover some more this in detail as we go along. So I'll refrain from from a dogmatic view. I I respect those teachers, Bob um, Bob Bolander. He he's very dogmatic about the Friday crucifixion, and um, okay, um, show me. But uh, I disagree. But Bob's. We we certainly respect Bob uh, on this. And all right, so Passover was six days away from this point, and this is where the journey had brought Jesus back to. Uh, his ministry was basically now apart from uh, his his ministry, his preaching ministry, his healing ministry, and these things were um, were now. Um, no longer center stage. Now the center stage was this Passion Week, and as things were things were coming to the conclusion of his earthly ministry, with him being the earthly ministry. Um, so back to Jerusalem, where Jesus, on this occasion, will be the Passover Lamb. He's going to be the he is the centerpiece of all of history right here. He is the Passover Lamb, and we're going to see. Um, and we're going to follow this lamb all the way up to the resurrection. So while this time, while Jesus had his agenda, while the stage was set, the 
Pharisees were, were plotting. See, they had some problems of their own with the resurrection of, or the resuscitation, or bringing back to life uh, Lazarus. That was a big problem because these these men were seeing the or the the religious leaders were um, the religious leaders were seeing the uh, they had a problem <laughs> they had a problem they um, with Lazarus being there were more and more people and and Jerusalem. Jerusalem in that surrounding area. We're down in Judea. We're down in a Judean area, down down south. Most of Jesus' ministry was up in the Galilean area, and that that was where he fed the fed the multitudes. That's where he um, walked on water. That's where he all. If you look back on on the life of Christ, all of these things, most of these things took place. In the in um, in the upper region around Galilee, and so there were those who were uh, many were very much ignorant when he comes to Jerusalem for that final Passover. They they weren't privy so much to this, but the 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 Pharisees they looked and they were scheming on how to arrest Jesus and how to how to kill him. But they just couldn't do it on Passover. That was the problem. They were at this point. They were looking. They can nab him, but they can't because there were people there with them. They were they were observing him, and even there were people there in Jerusalem that was expecting him. So it would cause quite a riot if they didn't do this quite right. So they had some they had some problems, and their their major problem with Jesus is they were losing power. Remember, it was John the Baptist who said, I must decrease and he must increase. He must increase, I must decrease. Well, not for, not for the Pharisees because with the resurrection of Lazarus, um, they were seeing the, the, their power and their influence falling away. And they, they weren't going to stand for that. So not only were they plotting to kill Jesus, they were also planning, they, there was also a price on Lazarus' head. I don't know if Lazarus knew it or not. Uh, Jesus knew what was going to happen, but I don't know if Lazarus understood that they were out to kill him as well. So you got a crowd coming in, following Jesus. One of them was um, Bartimaeus. Remember, Bartimaeus was one of the blind men on the way that Jesus had healed. I'm sure he was part of the crowd. Um, Bartimaeus and another blind man, the one who was shouting, um, shouting to Jesus for healing, and, and it caused them to see. So they were rejoicing. I'm sure they were also with Jesus coming in, in with that crowd. So there was there was Galileans coming in and um, with this entourage, and um, they were coming in to celebrate the Passover. Let's look at Matthew 21, 1 through 5. When they approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to, that the Lord needs them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fall, fall of a beast of burden. The When I was, uh, Beck and I spoke about the passion yesterday, uh, Mel Gibson, a passion. Um, we talked about that last night. The movie, I think the movie is valuable to one thing. I don't like biblical movies, um, and certainly not series anymore. Uh, we could go into that, but I don't like them. Uh, I mean, it is movies are not inspired. The Bible is inspired. But the one thing, the positive note I will give about the Passion is this, that when um, it, it brought questions, it, it opened up dialogue. If if we're going back, if I had to do over again, you know, I, I'd have probably made made a number of visits to to it and inviting unbelieving friends. Let's go see the Passion. Let's do that so that it would open up dialogue and questions about why Jesus had to suffer. The one thing about the movie is it emphasized the brutality, but it did not answer the spiritual aspect of the crucifixion. And that, that is all important because it was the spiritual aspect of where our salvation comes from, not the brutality or not his physical death. We'll cover that. But when uh, and, um, I remember asking an Iraqi man who asked me if I had, had, seen, had seen the movie and I said I didn't. I asked him and he, he motioned that he wept when he saw that movie. And um, the... So, we need to have the answer there. So, let me see. I lost my train of thought on that. Well, everything was coming... Oh, when... uh, I like what Chuck Messler says, that this was not a tragedy. That's where my train of thought went. This was not a tragedy. Jesus coming in and all that's happening, as brutal as it was. When I was a... When I was a kid around Easter, we, were, we, we on TV it would always be a, a a version of and I don't know who produced it or whatever. You probably saw it, but every Easter was talk, uh, had a movie on about the crucifixion. I was always sad. I was always heartbroken over it. You know how could they do this? I didn't understand why that this had to happen to Jesus. Um, and certainly when I started studying the Word of God, I do know, I uh, certainly know now. I, I hope you know, and I hope this brings light to it. But it wasn't a tragedy. This was a victory. This was accomplishment. This was achievement. This was the greatest uh, victory in all of human history because death was defeated. And um, so this, it, it wasn't a happenstance. This was it, it was a happenstance, but everything is orchestrated by the providential hand of God. This was planned. It was planned from the foundations of the earth. So, so then you got the fulfillment of the prophecy here. Say to the daughter of Zion, and this is um, Zechariah nine nine. 
say to the daughter, um, daughter of Zion, behold, your king, daughter of Zion is Jerusalem, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, a foal, or a beast of burden. See, this wasn't a victorious entry, a victorious entry. Um, as far as uh, this wasn't, remember that Jesus said to Nicodemus, "I didn't come to um, to judge the world, but to save the world." He comes meek, and a a um, if you come in and victorious, if you come in to conquer, which Jesus will in Revelation. See, here we're talking about the man. The man king. The son of David. The humanity. He, in his, in his kenosis state. Kenosis, when I say kenosis, I mean that, it, that here he is. He is God. But he has voluntarily restricted divine use of his divine attributes to take on a form of a humble human being. But when Jesus comes back in Revelation, he will be, he'll come back with his full attributes on display on that white horse with written on his thigh, King of Kings, uh, the Lord of Lords, uh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He will come back and, and from his mouth the word of God, that sword of truth. And he will come back victoriously. Here it is, was the offering up of himself as the king, as Messiah. All right. So this account is present in all four Gospels. And Matthew here is the only one that talks about the colt and the donkey on there. The donkey is an ass or a colt, uh, a nos, and then you've got polos. And the polos is a young is the young of a donkey, a donkey and, and a horse together, and it's a foal or a colt. One thing to mention here, Mark mentions it, that it's never been ridden. It, uh, it, it's never been broken. It has not been ridden. Just And I keep thinking about that when we talk about the tomb that no one has ever laid in. You know, Bob went over to the other day that he's laying that he's placing a tomb that was used by no one else. So I see these as instruments as uh, that's been consecrated for this special purpose. And in my mind's eye, I look at it that, that this man who, the owner of this colt and of this donkey, they, he never thought nothing of it, probably. I don't know. It's these little details that... Um, Maybe he knew, maybe he did. I don't. I don't know why this man. If, if Jesus had spoken to this man before and say, "Yeah, I'm going to be using this, um, take care of this for me," or if if the power of the Spirit was controlled, we don't know none of that. But but in one way, I see it as this man just did everything that he did humbly as unto the Lord. He had raised these these animals, and this animal. Um, by God was set aside for this very purpose coming up. So no one has ever written it. It was uh, in my mind, again in my thinking. It's consecrated for this very special purpose right here. And Jesus says, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately 
He will send them. Uh, the Lord Kurios, uh, Lord Master. And again, there, there is a lot of behind the scenes that we don't know. Was there a previous conversation with the man or did he, um, or was there a spiritual uh, connection somehow? So the, the Gospels do leave some questions. And um, let's look at Mark. Let's go, let's go Mark, uh, Mark. Let's go Mark 11:1. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethsage, um, let's take let's take a look. I'm going to bring that up on the map for you. And uh, I got my map back. I was happy about this. Okay, let's see if it works. Okay, it looks like it is. Bringing it up. Okay, Bethsage is 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 close to the Mount of of Olives. Here is Gethsemane, Gethsemane here, um, where where Jesus went and prayed. But um, so we we've recently talked about Jericho. So he's on that road from Jericho. And he he comes to Bethsage. This is about a mile outside of Jerusalem, and this is where he sends his disciples on in to to um, to get that uh, to get that colt. And in Matthew, both of them both of them comes along, both the colt and the um, the the donkey. All right, come on back. Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent to his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it. Uh, he will, uh, and immediately he will send it back here. Okay? They went away and found the colt tied at the door outside the street and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them and they gave them and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it and he sat on it. Okay? So it may be I, I wonder what's going through the disciples' mind. Okay, do this. They they're following they're following his instructions, and we're going to see other things that's just falling right in place. Jesus, the prophet. Um, I should mention this as well. Jesus isn't speaking from his and and knowing all this laid down. Remember that we just mentioned about the kenosis that Jesus has laid aside his his. Um, um, is uh, or not laid aside, but restricts his divine attributes. When Jesus knows th- something, when he knows the heart, when he's been revealed things, when he knows about this donkey, maybe he knew it because it was set up, or maybe because of his. He Jesus is a prophet, and a prophet um, is revealed things from God. Remember that Jesus is filled with the Spirit. There's things that revealed to him so it's revealed to Jesus that here's this it will be revealed to him that 
that this, these instruments, the beast of burden and the donkey, the colt, is going to be tied up, and that you were, to, and he will know to send his disciples to go and retrieve them for this mission. Um, this is uh, this is the one that's not been written. Uh, again, uh, Mark eleven one. Go into the village opposite, and immediately as you enter, you'll find a colt there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Matthew 21.5 so, uh, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, and uh, he is uh, to you gentle and mounted on a donkey. That, that means he is non-threatening. You're going if you're going to conquer if you're going to conquer something you're going to have a war horse and you're going to come in, but on the other hand too it was in De- it's in Deuteronomy that the kings were not to mass horses for themselves. So to be riding in on a horse would also be contradictory to Scripture and to the Israelites and seeing Jesus on a horse would would um, there would be some question about that. Um, and, and what they knew of Deuteronomy. And so a non-threatening symbol. And um, so Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus is meek and mild. And meek, meekness is power under restraint. See, at this point, Jesus, again, Jesus coming in, he's got a, he's got a mission. It wasn't to seize control. This is important to understand. He didn't come in to take the seat. Now, the people were considering that he is the Savior. He's coming in. They're excited about it and stuff. Even his disciples, yet, even though Jesus told them over and over again, they could not conceive the fact. Think about it this way. They're coming in on the East Gate. I think i got a picture of the East Gate here. Um, there we go. Yeah. He's riding, coming in on the, in, into the east gate. Very significant because east gate, you have going all the way back into, yeah, several, only two I could remember this morning was the east, uh, the entrance into the Garden of Eden. Um, that gate was on the east side. That's where the angel with the flaming sword, the cherubim, uh, protected that entrance. Um, there was east in, the east gate on a tabernacle. When you enter into the tabernacle, the entrance of the east gate. Here it is that this has been um, been cemented up and closed up and sealed up by the Muslims. But when Jesus returns, he'll be going back through this this gate. So this is where he will be coming into coming in. And you, thinking about the disciples at this point, disciples seeing all this, how can they conceive? That Jesus was going to die within a, a, a within six days. How can they conceive the the very nature that these people were going to turn upon him? Everything seemed right. Matthew twenty one six. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed. Come on back here. Um, eight. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. And others were cutting branches in the trees and spreading them in the road. 
and the crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And um, the this comes from uh, this was the way that they they would receive a king. We see this in Second Kings nine, verse twelve. And they said, "It is a lie. Tell us now." And he said, "Thus and thus." And he said to me, "Thus says the Lord: I have anointed you king over Israel." Then they hurried. And each man took his garment and placed it under him on the bare steps and blew the trumpets and saying, Jehu is king. So laying down the coats and the branches is part of the the ritual and, and receiving a king. Uh, part of the service. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's take a look at Hosanna here. Um, Hosanna. Uh, we're going to do both. Luanida on this. Yeah, we'll just stick with Luanida. And this is Hosanna. Hosanna. Uh, and it, it's, it's an Aramaic. Luanida says it's an Aramaic expression meaning help. I pray or save I pray but which had become a strictly liturgical formula of praise, a shout of praise or adoration. All right, and then um, let's go back and see what Mount says on it. And Mount says, Hosanna, and Hosanna, save now, help now. Save now, help help now. So, Hosanna, save now, help now. They're calling out for the Son of David, just like he did when he was in coming into um, coming into Jericho, and the blind man, uh, blind man shouting, shouting, "Have mercy on us, Son of David!" And now this crowd, made up of mostly Galileans, coming in, shouting and praising and. And saying, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." And it comes back. I'll finish out with this today. Um, we're going back to the the this Psalm one eighteen, and you'll this is familiar to a lot of us. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save. We beseech you. Oh Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He have ble- we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Uh, bind the festival sacrifices with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. When we say blessed, um, many churches will start out and say this is the day that the Lord has made. And that's all well and good because God made every every day. That's just fine. But it, this is a prophetical. This is a looking forward to when the Lord comes and establishes his kingdom and, and sits upon his throne. That day is yet to come. And it's this day, this particular, this 
one day that we're looking forward to, when the Lord comes, He returns, and blessed is He who is uh, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. That's going back to Psalm two that He establishes His Son on His throne, and we are looking forward to that day. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for your study. Pray, Heavenly Father, that you open our hearts to this wonderful message. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, it's another fine. We will not be, um, we'll not be, uh, we'll not have our class tomorrow. Uh, we will have an evening Jeopardy class. That's not, I will post that later on. That's not going to be alive. So I'll, I will, uh, if everything works out right, I will post that for tomorrow evening. We have anything else? All right, well, we're going to roll it out here. Uh, stay motivated, Lord. Keep your armor on. Keep fighting a good fight of faith. Let's close out in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. I pray, Heavenly Father, that it will be on our hearts. There's so much going on in this world. So much darkness. But let us not blind us of that ultimate victory that we're studying about. And we pray, Heavenly Father, because of victory, then we can look forward to the victory to come when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Pray, Heavenly Father, everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we say in this life, may it bring you glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, let me see. Our next class will be Friday morning. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us. You can hear this message again, as well as previous lessons, and get notes by visiting us online at www.gchapel.org.